blood moon has risen. It is time to tell stories of the strange and sometimes terrifying. A black cat brings us a true story. A vampire bat bites into a tall tail. An owl flies in a story from another world. Greetings, this is Blood Moon Podcast. I'm your Blood Moon host, Andrew Carey. Just a quick note, if you have a true story or tall tale of the strange and sometimes terrifying, please make your submission at bloodmoonpodcast.com. Thank you listeners for your support. We have something very strange for you in this episode. A black cat brings us a story from America's top secret remote viewing program. We will learn about a case of perfect sight integration. At a young age, Lynn Buchanan became aware that he had psychic abilities. One harrowing experience occurred when he was an adolescent. He decided to show off his abilities to a girlfriend by making a rock pass through a metallic plate using his mind. Although he thought it was a cool display of psychic power, the girl's father, an Advent minister, believed it was the work of the devil. Later that night, the minister and some of his followers arrived at Lynn's door with the intention of driving the devil out of him. They only succeeded in scaring the young boy. Later in life, Buchanan joined the U.S. Army and trained as a computer specialist. Eventually, he earned a master's degree in psycholinguistics at Stephen Austin University in Austin, Texas. He would work in the private sector, but ultimately he grew bored and rejoined the army. During his second stint in the army, Buchanan would have another difficult psychic experience. This incident caused him to be transferred to the 902nd Military Intelligence Group in Fort Meade. There, he would join the top-secret remote viewing program. Remote viewing is a term describing an experiment rather than a specific psychic ability. 
the experiment is conducted in a controlled setting, where the viewer seeks impressions about a distant target, such as a person or object. The CIA began the program in 1972, under the direction of physicist Dr. Hal Putoff at Stanford Research Institute. The program was under the control of the Army by the time Buchanan joined in the late 70s. Throughout the years, the controversial project would be utilized as a means of intelligence gathering or confirmation. An unknown client approached the group with a potentially dangerous mission. Remote view an exotic weapon and place himself in the direct line of fire in order to obtain details about its function. Buchanan was the only viewer to volunteer, and it would be one of the most fascinating sessions of his career. Buchanan's subconscious mind focused on a visual impression of a long tubular beam. At this point, the viewer had bilocated or achieved what is known as perfect sight integration. This means that Buchanan's subconscious mind gave the impression that he was at the actual location with the target. The steady beam of energy looked like a brown liquid moving at an extremely high rate of speed. As he got closer, he could see that the properties of the beam looked different in the middle than on the edge. Out of curiosity, Buchanan put his fingers in the beam. For a moment, the beam had split, then his fingers appeared to have melted and become one with the flow. He could feel heat and cold simultaneously. Then he pulled his hand away. The beam regained its former state and his hand was still intact. Buchanan decided to test it again. He thrusted his arm into the energy beam. Again, he could see his arm meld with the beam. He pulled back his arm, and it too was still intact. Buchanan looked to his side and found a group of men. They were wearing goggles as they operated dials and other instruments. He then remembered the objective of his mission, stand inside the energy beam and make observations. Buchanan courageously stepped inside the beam. His body merged with the stream. He could feel his back against a metallic plate, and he seemed to meld into it. The viewer could now see multiples of himself within various points in the beam. Even stranger, he could see from all vantage points within the beam, and with each image impression was an accompanying awareness. 
the multiple versions of the viewer seem to converse with each other, but also be a part of a hive mind. Eventually, Buchanan reclaimed his focus and repositioned himself against the strong flow of energy. Looking straight down the beam, he could see the center swirling in a counterclockwise manner. The edges flowed in a straight direction. The shimmering particles within the beam consisted of highly vivid colors. Again, he could see the particles from various vantage points. Buchanan could not remember how the session ended. However, the sheer beauty and strangeness of the experience left an indelible impression. It was revealed that the target was a particle beam weapon which was being developed by the Soviets. Welcome back. An owl flies us back in time to 1958. We will witness the attack of the Jellymen. Hans Gustafsson and Stig Rydberg were driving home from a dance party during the early morning hours of December 20th, 1958. Somewhere along Route 45 near Domston, Sweden, the young men noticed a glow in the nearby woods. Believing that it was a fire department at work, they decided to pull over to get a better view. Curiosity grew as the peculiar light pierced the darkness and danced between the trees. The two men got out of the warm car and entered the cold woods. Walking by the maze of pine trees, they were able to get a clear view of the light's source. Resting on tripodal legs was a flying saucer. The self-illuminated craft shifted colors and highlighted the surrounding environment. They were stunned. The shock turned to panic when amorphous beings appeared and approached the men. A rotten stench filled the air. <laughs> then a struggle began. 
the four beings firmly grasped Gustafsson and Rydberg. Although the beings were smaller in stature, they were agile and quick. Rydberg drove his right arm through the gray, jelly-like surface of one being. Gustafsson fought with intensity, however any punches he threw were met with a quick parry. At this point, Gustafsson believed that the beings could read his mind, therefore predict his movements. In desperation, Gustafsson wrapped his arms around a sign pole. All four beings attacked Gustafsson, leaving Rydberg free to find help. He ran through the emerging mist and straight to the car. Rydberg looked through the windshield to see Gustafsson parallel to the ground as the beings tried to wrench him from the pole. Rydberg began rapidly pressing the horn. The blaring sound caused the gelatinous beings to drop Gustafsson and retreat to the saucer. A burning odor permeated through the crisp air. The saucer pulsated a high frequency that paralyzed the two men. Then it shot off into the dark sky. Gustafsson and Ryberg sat in the car silently. After regaining their composure, they drove home with the intention of keeping their experience a secret. The secret wasn't kept for long, as relatives pressed about their ravaged appearance. The young men reported their encounter with authorities and underwent psychological evaluations. The only solid conclusion was that Gustafsson and Rydberg did not suffer from hallucinations. We remain in 1958 with another Black Cat story about Marlene's Dilemma. was a housewife with four young children when she and her family moved to Kansas City, Missouri in 1958. Her husband Don was a regional manager for a shoe company and his job transfer prompted the move. The family ended up in a ranch style home with four bedrooms. A few weeks after moving into the house, Marlene began to notice something wasn't right in their new home. As she was settling into bed one night, she felt the mattress compress at the foot of her bed.
thinking that it was one of her children trying to climb into bed. She sat up and reached out while saying, Got you! To her surprise, no one was there. Marlene got up and walked to the boys' bedroom. The boys were tucked into bed and sound asleep. Then she went to the girls' room, and they too were sound asleep. Marlene convinced herself that she imagined the event. The next night, she would realize that it wasn't her imagination, but something else was at play. Again, she felt a disturbance at the foot of her bed, and she reached out to grab nothing but empty air. It became a frequent problem, and she began to think it was her husband's movement that was causing the sensation. Marlene kept watch over her husband's movements while he slept. Again, the disturbances returned, yet her husband never moved. Then she heard heavy breathing near the bedroom's doorway. In distress, Marlene told her husband about the breathing. However, he claimed not to have heard anything. Later in the evening, she heard crunching footsteps approach the bed. She thought it was one of her children stepping on a plastic bag that was left on the floor. Once more, she sat up and reached out to find emptiness. And again, she found her children asleep in their respective bedrooms. Many weeks later, Marlene awoke to the sound of cascading water her initial belief was that one of her kids didn't make it to the bathroom and had an accident. Again, she found all of them asleep. The next day, Marlene found a colorless, odorless puddle of strange liquid in the boys' room. It left no markings or stain after it was wiped clean. Her skeptical husband said that it either dripped from the ceiling or oozed through the floor. Months later, the mystery goo reappeared, this time in the girl's bedroom. It didn't make sense. The house was in good condition, as it was only seven years old. Then, danger struck twice. Across the road, a car parked in a neighbor's sloped driveway rolled away and directly towards Marlene's house, crashing into the boy's bedroom wall. Days later, a gentleman parked his car in the same driveway and got out. 
he turned to see the driverless automobile rumble across the road into the wall of the girl's bedroom. Fortunately, no one was injured in either incident. Now, Marlene began to feel a dark presence in the house and felt that all these events were connected. Still, her husband did not believe that there was a supernatural explanation to the unusual events. Dawn worked late one night while Marlene and the children were home. Marlene got into bed and turned out the lights. The labored breathing returned. She could feel the pressure on the mattress. The breathing got closer. She pretended to sleep, hoping that whatever was in her bed would go away. Moments later, Marlene heard a car pull up to the house. She opened her eyes to see headlights beaming through the windows and heard the engine turn off. Thinking that her husband had come home, she fearlessly climbed out of bed and ran into the living room. Looking out the window, she found nothing but darkness. No car. No dawn. Distraught, Marlene got back into bed and waited for her husband to return. When he finally arrived, she told him the details of her experience. However, he believed there was a mundane explanation for the terrifying events. Although Don didn't believe the house was haunted, he was able to get a job transfer, which enabled his family to move to a new home in Wichita. It was then that Marlene discovered she had some psychic ability. Years later, the family moved to California, and during this time, she began seeing and hearing the deceased. A short time later, the labored breathing returned. The blood moon is setting. The sources for this episode include the APRO Bulletin, January 1959 issue, Ghosts, True Encounters with the World Beyond by Hans Holzer, Psy Spies, True Story of America's Psychic Warfare Program by Jim Mars. Vegetable Men, Space Fairies, and Other Truly Bizarre Alien Encounters by Brent Swanser on MysteriousUniverse.org and Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. You can also follow Blood Moon Podcast on social media. Thank you for listening.